right, guys. Welcome back to Only on the Midwatch podcast presented by Test Depth. I'm your host, Ellison Barham, joined by my co-host, or my guest today, actually, not co-host, sorry. My yeah. guest today, the host of the Don't Give Up the Shit podcast, who will be nameless, and you won't see his face. <laughs> I know I told you guys that I got some video out there for the new the new podcast episodes, but this one's a special one. Thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. So, uh, I mean, jumping right in, you know, we were on your show, we were on your podcast, Josh and I were on your podcast a while back, and yeah. uh, I know we made a joke about how it seemed like we we we, uh, <laughs> we were just hating on Chiefs the entire time, and we were talking yeah. shit about Chiefs. We tried to clear the air a little bit. I don't know if any Chiefs believe this, but, uh, <laughs> but tell us a little bit about uh, the Don't Give Up the Shit podcast, man, and, and uh, what was the idea behind that? For sure, yeah. Um... I did not take away that you guys hate Chiefs. It's fine. Like, that was just the topic, and I'm sure we'll get to it later. But, yeah, so um, Don't Girl Chip Podcast was born of what I perceive to be a need uh, in leadership development education in general. But it was really, I was an A school instructor. Uh, this was about seven years ago. I was a chief, and I was the LCPO of a schoolhouse. And then I ended up stepping into an SEL role as a chief, and then, and then that's when I made senior chief. But probably about a year and a half before I transferred. So when I was still in that LCPO role, I had a lot of students over a period of time that were reaching back, asking questions about uh, leadership stuff, whether it was they were put into a junior leadership position on like an aircraft carrier and they didn't know what to do with their hands or they were having, and this was probably the more common one, they were having issues with leadership, like an LPO or a work center soup or somebody, some second class tyrant that was like making their life hard. And they didn't know how to deal with it, and they were stressed out, and and like didn't feel like there was anybody they could talk to, and they didn't know what to do. Um, and a lot of the questions were very, very similar of the problems or predicaments that they found themselves in. So I was looking at it like I'm I'm constantly a- answering the same questions over and over again. And so uh, we were putting about twelve to thirteen hundred students through the schoolhouse. And so to me, it stood to reason that if I had this many students with very similar problems that gone, going out to the fleet in all different like community warfare communities, types of vessels, ships, detachments, air wings, whatever. Um, if they were having these problems, it stood to reason everybody was having these problems, like every junior sailor in the entire Navy. Um, and you can even expand that to other branches of the service, even though a lot of the stuff that I talk about, and because and I, 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 I've always wanted to be able to uh, make it translatable to everyone, but I don't know how to speak Army, Marine Corps mostly, or... Right. or Uh, or anything air force like i've interacted with a lot of them so i I do know a little bit but anyway uh so that's where it came from it was like a i saw the need and i wanted to be able to point these sailors to a resource instead of me just consistently answering the same questions over and over again and so uh i started exploring options and the one that stood out to me was a podcast and and part of it was like what you were saying earlier like i didn't want my face and name on it um part of that was i don't want to walk down the pier and have somebody flag me down as the as d guts you know like i think it would be a little weird and probably um make work kind of odd like it'd be almost contrary to good or discipline in a way that's probably an extreme way of saying it but it would interrupt certain things like right now i go out on submarines and do inspections and i've had buddies of mine that know who i am um or have like found out through friend of a friend and they walk up to me on the submarine while I'm in inspection and tell me how they love the podcast. And I'm like, shut up, dude. <laughs> like yeah. this is not the time or the place. Like, yeah. and it's not, we'll talk about it in a minute. Like I'm in the middle of something. 
Uh, so I didn't want that. That was kind of the more, it was like the first thing I thought of, but then I, I was thinking of how do I get all these junior sailors to listen? Because I, it's hard enough to get junior sailors to trust chiefs at all ever. So how do I get junior sailors that don't even know me personally? Cause I was always kind of, I was kind of the chief that people came to when they had problems with chiefs because say junior sailors just knew they could trust me and have a conversation with me. And even if I told them what they didn't want to hear, I wasn't going to go like tell their chief um, and create a even more uh, awkward situation. But all these other sailors, they don't know who I am. They don't know anything about me. So how am I going to get them to come listen to a podcast directed at them about leadership from me? And like, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a tall order. So yeah. I thought not having my face or name or anything like that on it would prevent what I perceive to be a, a bias towards like thinking chiefs that do stuff, anything like this on the internet. It's like a look at me project and I'm trying to do it for an eval bullet or any, any kind of weird motivation like that. Um, and so I recorded the introduction episode and sent it to a couple of chiefs that uh, I built like sponsored through the season a couple of students of mine that were out in the fleet, um, stuff like that. And, and just some people that I had worked with and trusted their opinion and said, am I out of my mind or is this a good idea? And they all thought it was a good idea. So I was like, all right, let's try it out. Like, and so I just, just started and started putting them out there and, um, the rest is history. Here we are. <laughs> and I'm still doing this like seven years later. Um, and it's been great, man. It's been, I've gotten not almost universally positive feedback. The only place I've got punched in the chin a few times is Reddit, which we talked about before we started recording. And of course yeah, I did. Cause it's Reddit. Reddit and is I was kind of seeking zone. that out. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I was seeking it out though. I was, I was totally asking for it on purpose. Cause like in my mind, what, like what, of course I want to hear an unfiltered, like even if it even if it turns into just vitriol where some junior sailors venting on a chief it's like i got broad shoulders man i can take it like give me <laughs> give me all you got and i'm going to pull the goodness out of that and hopefully start a conversation that's productive and and get them pointed in the right direction and a lot of times they just get curious and then go listen to the podcast and then uh, i got another listener that gets converted and is like oh this guy isn't really uh yeah. like out to get me or whatever and it works out pretty good, but it's been great, man. It's been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Uh, I've gotten a lot of really cool messages from people and um, just the reactions to like, like, and it's the kind of stuff you don't like, I, I just didn't anticipate it. Like I thought, you know, you get some, Oh, Hey, great podcast. It really like, I learned some stuff or something in that vein. Yeah. I've gotten emails from chiefs and this is the weird part. Most of my crazy positive responses have been from chiefs that have sent me an email saying something in the effect of like, you completely changed my outlook on how to be a chief or, or like this completely changed my life. And like, now I'm like motivated when I used to hate my job and was thinking about getting out and stuff. And wow. And it like, That's nuts. it's yeah. It, wild, like wild stuff like that. And it like, I don't even know. I still don't know how to process that type of a response. And it's just like, I like, you know, I mean, I thank them and I'm sure it's I, you. I'm You're just, just like, a, you're just trying to pass on just some dude, some not some like yeah. valuable information you think you got, you know? Yep. And then, I'm just a dude, and yeah, it's like a. I thought I could help, and that is literally um, the ex, the amount of thought I put into it because I don't like I know I'm really passionate about leadership. I feel like I kind of know what I'm doing, and I have a lot of experience, and but honestly, it's just like a. 
so much of it is motivated by just like caring for people. It's like, it's, it's not a, I don't feel like it's something that I just have something that other people don't. I think it's just, I've, I've, um, connected a lot of my own like humanity to the idea of being a chief. It's like, a, I think, it, cause I think that it works and you were mentioning it earlier and I think it was before we started recording, but about how, um, like in order to like connect with these people and work well together with these people and have a good command culture, it's like, you've got to be able to trust them and you've got to be able to feel like a normal human being around them instead of having this detachment and just this distance between the supervision mechanism and then the junior people. And for me, that was kind of always what I tried to do is like, you, there is a barrier that has to be maintained just for the whole professionalism and good or discipline piece, but you can do that while letting them know you're a human being. Like I can talk to them in a way that they understand that I care about them and that I have their best interests at heart at all times and they can trust me with anything. And um, it takes time to build that trust and that relationship, but you can get there. And I've done it a million times and I did it in, in real life on the first two chief tours I did. And then I've, I've kind of explored that idea on the podcast. It's just like, I spent a lot of time about, time talking about humanizing chiefs because i think a lot of chiefs think that they need to like create this character you know where they like the day they put on khakis they got to start acting this part because they have to one like like live up to this idea of being a chief which we can get into is like okay well what is a chief and why do you think you need to to do that but also this like they have to play this character for their their division almost like the audience expects them to be this thing and it's like no like you're the same dude you were yesterday or you're the same person like it like the same man or woman you were the day before you put on anchors there's just a new responsibility like an increased responsibility because it really if you were in an lpo role you still had the same responsibility it's just a new responsibility like a new level of and so now you just have to fulfill that like nothing really changed even though it kind of did like it's but it, it didn't turn you into this new like character that you have to play where you have all these new roles and responsibilities that make you alienate your people sorry for that make loud, it weird for that loud oh, you're my, good, man i didn't even hear it my my dog <laughs> sometimes my dog just like has to be near me and she knows how to open yeah. those doors <laughs> I apologize. Um, it's all good i didn't even hear it i saw you look but yeah um, i, but I yeah. can hear the thunder rolling um Dude, so I wanted to I I wanted to stop you before you uh you went on to some more good stuff. Um you were so you're like pretty focused on the the chief aspect of it because, you know, you're coming from from that level and you know, obviously you've gone through the ranks as as we all know how the military rank and structure works, but when you're delivering your podcast cuz I haven't listened to you said it's been on for seven years, this podcast? It's about seven years. Yeah, I'd have wow. to look. Um, I keep saying about seven years just off the top of my head, but it's been it's been over six. I'd have to go back in time and look at when the, the last one or the very first one was published, but yeah. Pretty so, close. So in this pod in your podcast, um, because I'm I'm not that familiar, but do you do a lot of, you know, talking about how you mold yourself to become chief ready because it seems, you know, like we were, like you were just talking about, it's not like nothing. You're still the same person you were before you put on anchors. Right. And the idea yeah. is that you always want to be the rank, you know, start acting or, or having the, the qualities of the rank that you're, you're looking to achieve. Right. right. So do you, 
in this podcast, do you talk um, a bit about how to get that way? Because, you know, one of the things that I asked I yeah. think Jason Pittman yeah. uh, when I had him on the podcast was, what do you do with the guys that you that are pretty and receptive, that, that you can't reach, that they're just kind of yeah. like Eeyore, <laughs> and they're just like, you know, everything's yeah. doom and gloom, and, you know, nothing matters, yep. and this kind of, you know. It's, yes. I, so I would say yes. I mean, I, all of it could be applied in some way but i have spent specifically in in sailors that are getting ready to be chiefs or are in the transition of um i've done a bunch of specific stuff uh the first thing i did was it was this series called initiation chronicles and it's a bunch of different podcasts that um i recorded one year during the chief season as we were going through and i've added a few to it um over the years kind of during the same time of year but most of it was one year I just went through as the chief season was happening because I've always been really, really involved in it since probably my second year. Um, mm-hmm. I've run a ton of them. And it's because that's kind of what, I mean, it's what kept me in the Navy after I made chief. I was thinking about separating and it's getting to run the chief season is what kept me around is I got to build chiefs and it was like crack. It was like the best thing I'd ever done. And in what so, way? Uh, it, the leadership development stuff, the same stuff that I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, mm-hmm with the podcast it was and and a big part of it was i'm a cook chief right and so you know from being on a submarine that um it's a fight to be taken seriously ever as a a cook on a submarine unless you kind of you get in control and you're qualified things and you're doing kind of doing what a lot of cook chiefs don't right so it's already a battle to be taken seriously and i've had a lot of conversations with a lot of really smart people that think cooks are dumb and it blows my mind because i'm I'm not that person. And a lot of times what I get from those really intelligent people is they, they look at me like, Oh, well, you're not a cook. Like not really. And I'm like, but yeah, I am. And I have been the whole time. And so during that first chief season, um, because I had a cob that kind of viewed me that way, but kind of didn't. And, and his opinion has evolved. He's the guy that pinned my mastery fingers on. So to, it's not like, I don't think this guy is an incredible mentor and human being. But he kind of thought that I needed to be in the galley, and that's where cooks kind of were, and he didn't want to cook and control wow. um, at the time, right? And that, again, that opinion has evolved over time. But so back then, I was already kind of fighting that inferiority complex, I guess. I've, I've always been defensive about that thing and felt like I had to, like, prove people wrong. And so on that boat, the last chief season that I was there for, I ran. And when I ran it, um, I had a Nuki T, I had an A-ganger, uh, I had a Yeoman, and I'm trying to think, there was a couple others, I think that I'm missing two, um, between the detachment and the ship's force guys. And I got to, oh, there's an electrician and somebody else. Um, but I got to put those guys through the season, and what ended up happening was the people I assigned as sponsors, which if you don't know, when you go through the chief season, you get assigned a sponsor that's supposed to kind of lead you through the season. The sponsors were not super involved. Um, they were just people that, like, the Cobb approved of, and they they were there, and, I mean, they did some things, but they were not as involved as I thought they should be is probably a better way of putting it um, in, the, in the development and season of these chief selects. And because we were in the shipyard, the galley was shut down. I barely had a job. I was a command career counselor. That was effectively my primary duty, but I had a ton of bandwidth. So I, I basically ended up being all of their sponsors and i spent a just absurd amount of time with these guys um developing them like to like teaching them how to be a chief and it kind of doing it in the way that i thought it should be done 
and it was really rewarding for me and i i got to watch the look in their eyes change over a six-week period in like how they viewed me and then how they viewed chiefing and then i and i've got this picture in my charge book um of the group of us at the very end on final night um there's this event that happens called acceptance which is kind of when it's over and you're accepted in the mess and you put on your different colored t-shirt and it's like it's this cool moment of self-actualization like it sounds corny but it's really cool especially after all the stress you're under kind of like it's like this watershed moment switching your recruit ball cap to your yeah very very um very reminiscent of that like feeling the emotional feeling and like the just feeling of like uh you, it's over but it's like you've graduated or whatever kind of kind of like that and um i have a picture with the the group of them and they've got like their guide on and i'm in the middle with my arms all around them and it's it was really cool because they at the beginning they're like oh i gotta listen to this cook chief talk to me about leadership like really and by the <laughs> end of it it was like they were hugging me and and like the look in their eyes changed and I still, when I see those guys to this day, um, they light up and give me a big hug. And, and like, it's a really cool thing to this day where it's like I get a lot of validation out of that experience because it's like, now I'm not just a cook and there's nothing, there's no stereotypical like version of anyone or anything. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what kind of kept me around. But, um, to answer what I think your original question was, was the chief stuff. So like the, the, it's all good. I do the same thing, man. I see squirrels and I go off on tangents on on (laughs) my podcast all the time. So, um, but the, the chief select stuff. So I, I did the initiation chronicle stuff as like a guide through the season, um, where there's a lot of stuff that when you start talking about the chief season, chiefs get all like, Oh, it's top secret squirrel, whatever. Like you can't talk about it. You can't show them what's in the box. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't tell anybody. Yeah. And, uh, I don't, there's, there are certain things that by virtue of them being, um, moments of vulnerability where a person is sharing really intimate stuff or, or there's a moment of intimacy, like emotional, like rawness where somebody is like, um, it, sometimes it's the chief select is sharing a part of their life with the chief's mess that is just really sensitive, or it's a, a chief is relaying a sensitive story. Uh, so, for instance, like I had a buddy that was on the San Francisco when the collision happened, and he would tell a story during the chief season about how a person he knew lost his life while they were under nuclear power when this thing happened, and about all the um, the different things that were going on when that happened, and and. It, it gets really, he gets emotional every time he tells a story. It get the room is like, you feel an electricity in the room. It's like, it's just, it's not a thing that needs to be open to the public. Besides those moments, there's very little that happens during the chief season that could not be completely viewable by junior sailors. And I'd argue it's beneficial when it does happen because not only can you not make up your own narrative about what, like that we're sacrificing goats to the gods or something in there, but also... It, like you benefit from it by seeing it and going, man, that's really cool. And it kind of, you would see junior sailors probably wanting to be a chief more if, if they saw some of that stuff and it would reduce some of the stuff that shouldn't be happening as well. If there were, uh, there was an audience, I think, but, um, so I, I did those ones to shed some light basically on some of that stuff for the selectees, just kind of, I didn't, I didn't lay out a complete like roadmap for them and kind of give them the answers to the test. But I gave them a really hard nudge in the right direction with those ones. So there's a bunch of them where, and it kind of, they, they happen 
there's these different stages that happen while you're when you're selected you go through the season and it's it's shockingly universal like when somebody finds out they make chief it's like a hard reset their whole brain gets wiped and they all of a sudden don't know how to do anything and it's hilarious to watch where a group of first classes that were running work centers and divisions like really well all of a sudden forget to, what to do with their hands and so you have this group of people trying to work together as a team we put them under stress on purpose we overtask them on purpose like to see how they deal with it to see if they ask for help to see if they ask uh to like delay a deadline or to see if they tell us to our face that this is stupid and we're not going to do it and there it is stupid and you're not you shouldn't want to do it but like we're trying to get them to tell us that and um, so I did kind of from there through the development of like where their heads are generally at as the season unfolds and then kind of talking about some of the milestone stuff um, to try to get them to think about those things. And then I did what I, I mentioned earlier, which was a teaching to the creed stuff. Um, I did that. It's technically two years ago. COVID was weird. So I probably recorded the stuff like a, a little over a year ago. Um, but it's the new curriculum that is kind of required reading for chief selects when they go through the chief season before they get frocked. Um, and it, they put out an, like a no joke curriculum for it. And it's supposed to be these facilitated lessons, um, where you have open and frank conversations about leadership stuff. And what happens in real life is a bunch of region CMCs or area CMCs get in a room with a bunch of chief selects and try to facilitate a conversation on leadership what chief select on planet earth is going to have a frank conversation about anything with a bunch of CMCs like zero. zero. I mean, there's always that one guy in the back. That's going to be like, yeah, I got a question. But other than that, like <laughs> pretty much no one yeah. is going to have a frank conversation. That's going to be very productive about leadership stuff. So I wanted to put something out um, that was, was what they were trying to achieve, but probably aren't. And so I put brought on guests and had a discussion as, and we worked through the curriculum and, and there's certain uh, it, like it certainly leaves a lot to be desired, like the curriculum itself. But um, I got a lot of really good feedback on that, too. So I think that was successful. But those are the two that are specifically targeted at that. I would say I probably have a bunch of other stuff that that kind of it, it all oh. like the whole idea is that it, it fills the gap and, and helps build from the beginning to kind of the chief's area stuff because the the reason why i identified the need for it to exist in the first place was nothing ever happens really um like so like when you were in unless you had some like go-getter chief that was passionate about this stuff like you might have gotten pon doc and it probably sucked if not it was just somebody recorded that it happened when it didn't because it was mandatory for you to get frocked but it like they had the command delivered pon doc which was garbage um after that happening or not happening, then the next formal leadership development education you get in the Navy is the Senior Enlisted Academy, which technically you have to be a senior chief to go to, but they usually put a bunch of chiefs on standby, and then when they can't fill a class, chiefs, like just E7 chiefs are allowed to go. Um, and the Senior Enlisted Academy is incredible. Like, I loved it. Like, I learned a lot while I was there. I, I felt like I, I went and benefited from it and just like, wondered why the hell we weren't doing this at every level. And so now they're trying to roll out those ELD courses and, and COVID kind of put the brakes on that. And now they're trying to spin it back up. So like I've heard good things about those. I'm about to attend a facilitator course here soon so I can be certified to teach those. And um, it'll also give me like a better idea of what they are and how they work and stuff like that. But there was just this giant like void in between where you never got taught 
like you never got taught how to deal with leadership or how to develop into a leader at the lower levels. Like when you probably got put in some kind of a work center soup role or like an ALPO role or something, at least if you weren't an LPO. And then it's like, you never got taught how to do that unless you like oopsed upon a, like a, a great mentor or you just were a really intelligent guy that did a lot of self-study. You never get taught by the organization how to lead in the organization, like ever. It just doesn't happen. And so that's what the whole thing is aimed at, is like everything that I do on the podcast is aimed at having that conversation in some sort of way or filling that gap. Have, have you had, have you had uh, talks with uh, certain people that can make these kind of, I guess, policy changes to see if there's more like things that can be done to bring this to the Navy mainstream? Um, not yet. Uh, I was about to, and I, it was, I got contacted and I'm going to be intentionally vague. Uh, I got contacted by a very, very high level, um, naval leader that wanted to come on the podcast. And I got kind of got contacted via their like assistant, um, who was also dope and who I still want to talk to. If you're listening, I do. Um, <laughs> awesome person, but, and that'll probably happen eventually, but the they wanted to that leader to be on and and i kind of said to this um, the assistant i'm like look i'm in i'll do it but i need you to understand the kind of questions i'm gonna ask and how i it's like i under because i understand the position they're in when they're that high up that it's like there's certain things that they can say and certain things they probably can't say or at least they think they can't say and uh, especially like out in the open on a podcast that's made for public consumption. Like I, I, me me and that person behind a closed door probably going to say some different stuff and I'm not going to repeat it. You know what I mean? But I also, it's like the kind of questions I would want answers to. I don't know that, that any of them are going to want to have that conversation, um, which is disappointing because I think it's a conversation that needs to get had, obviously. Um, And and it may be something that like, it's a conversation I'd be happy to have like, you want to call me to DC and, and close a door, let's do it. Like I'll have that conversation and not be able to talk about it. I don't care. Um, but if that's what I got to do to make any kind of productive change or to be part of it, I would be totally in. But um, I haven't, I haven't gotten contacted about those types of things. And the funny part is like, I know who's listening and I know those people are listening um, or at least a lot of the people that work for them. And it's just through those analytics and through conversations with people. Like I know they're aware of it. I know a lot of those really high level people are at least aware of it if they're not actively listening to it. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me that they haven't. And in some of that, like I mentioned, and, and I can say his name is uh, because he's retired is fleet master. Paul Kingsbury. We've had conversations where it's like, he said, he's like, your frustrations are valid because a lot of people when they're in those positions, the appetite for change isn't there, like institutional change. Like nobody wants to have a conversation about the content of the Chief Petty Officer's Creed. Nobody wants to have a conversation about the problems we have in the mess. Why is that though? That is would it just... spur. I don't know. I That's the weird part is like, I don't, I don't know. And what's really interesting is I got, and I'll, let me open my phone. I, he, Paul texted me an article today where the um, Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps is doing exactly what we're talking about. Like he put out and let me read it. Um, it says Corps Sergeant Major calls for improved treatment and care for junior Marines. 
and I haven't read the article yet, but uh, the sergeant major of the entire Marine Corps, so like Mick Pond for the Marine Corps, yeah. is basically saying, and the first line is, it, uh, it's time to start treating junior Marines better to keep more Marines in the Corps longer. And it's like, because yeah, duh. Because <laughs> of course, yeah. that's what, you know what I mean? So um, it's, I don't know. And I'm going to dig into this, and then I'm going to go down this rabbit hole, and then I'm going to start having some conversations about hopefully hopefully doing that but i mean it's also a thing that if they're gonna do that they're gonna do that on like the proceedings podcast or they're gonna do it on like the navy times article or whatever you're not gonna come talk to me but um i'm not trying to sound like a debbie downer here um (laughs) but and i'm and i'm not gonna i'm not saying like this this shit isn't gonna work but i'll give you my perspective like Things in, in situations and moments that I remember being an E5 or a second class on the boat, having these kind of conversations with people who were like a rank or two above me and it just dying right there. Ooh. You know. But why did it die? But what but why wouldn't it die when it because because so it it died because those leaders aren't equipped to have those conversations with you and they think that they can't can't have those conversations with you like like almost like they're the things that happen behind the door of the mess stay in the mess like bullshit that's not real like there are things like i said with the chief season right that that it's not appropriate to talk about outside the confines of the chief season but there's very few of those so those leaders aren't equipped to have those conversations with you. And it's, it's hard for us to admit that. And that's probably one of the reasons why high level leadership doesn't want to have this conversation, because in order to have this conversation in a productive way and get like anything useful out of it, we have to admit that we have a problem. You have to say that the chief's mess is broken. You know what I mean? And it's like, nobody wants to say that, but it is. And everyone knows that it is. I've never had a conversation with a chief on the podcast that hasn't thought or agreed with exactly what I was saying, maybe because it's because I exist in an echo chamber, but I don't think that's true. Like everybody I've ever talked to about this agrees that there's a problem, but for whatever reason at a, at an institutional level, they don't want to talk about it because that would require us to admit that we have a leadership problem and we need to address that those leaders at no stage in their Naval career are equipped to have that conversation with you and have it be productive. That's what's maddening is like we need to fix leadership development and education first. Like you need to start at the very beginning and teach you how to be that leader. And then on the way up, you're consistently groomed and taught and trained and educated. And like and I I hate using the word training, even though it's applicable in some regards, but it's like it's education. Like we're not flipping through PowerPoints telling you how this is how it goes. Like we're indoctrinating you into a culture like that's a piece of it. But it's like it needs to be education. Like you need to be doing a whole bunch of stuff to like learn all the soft skills required to be a good leader and to just be a good person. And it none of that stuff is provided by the organization. So it's like me putting you in the dive chair and telling you to figure it the fuck out. Like it doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? I'm setting you up to fail. I have like a two sided question. Do you one, do you think do you think that this was different before? And two do you think that um, if it's never been this way, like if it's if there wasn't an emphasis and a focus on making sure that people were better equipped to become leaders in the right way, 
um, in the military, why has it not been an emphasis? Why, why would that not be one of the first things that you want to do? Because you know that people, you, you're going to want people to stay in the military. You're not going to. Yeah. So the first part was, was it like this before? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Was there ever, was there ever a better okay. time of leadership or like where these kinds of, this kind of grooming was, yeah. was handled a lot better yeah. and with more care and, and, you know, this whole process was way more efficient. Yeah. I want to say yes. Um, it's hard to know for sure. I've talked to, so talking to Paul, he was, he's been around forever. I think he made chief in the nineties. So I talked to him a little bit about it and, um, he said it was, there was a time where it was less, um, distracted and less, um, it was focused more on the things that we say we believe in and less on the things that you actually see happening where it's almost become, um, like a caricature of itself in real life, if that makes sense. But I want to say yes, but it's hard to know for sure without having existed in those times. But the one thing that I point people to is um, one of the really bright spots uh, of the teaching of the Creed curriculum was bringing to, to my knowledge and everyone else's this article uh, called a short talk with chief petty officers. And it's on the website. Um, and I, I have a, a spin the yarn podcast associated with those where it's just me talking about this article because it was so damn good. And it's, I got it. And this is what made me so mad was I was so disappointed in myself as I have a blue jackets manual on my shelf from 1917. I think I have to look at it. Um, but the article is in there in the exact same state. Right. And then the one from the training, I think is like from 1920 something, but it's the same article, same exact content. And it's one of the best articles on leadership you'll ever read. Like it's especially when you are looking at it through the lens of like, what should a, a naval leader and a chief petty officer be? And when I read that article, it melted my brain because one in talking to the guy I mentioned earlier, the NSW tech that I talked to all the time, um, when we, him and I talked about it, it was it was like, why isn't this the chief petty officer's creed? Like most of the content of this fits better in. and and when i hear you talk about it it's like like yeah like that's what i want from my chief but also it came from the early 1900s so it's like did was it a focus and did they did they really have a good idea of what enlisted leadership should be a long time ago like yeah i think they did because that article nailed it and there's a couple of things that don't quite translate just because they're dated but 99 percent of it is outstanding and it's like that's it, it i i read it and i was just like i wish these are the tenants we live by right now and, and some of it is baked into like the mission vision guiding principles and the the chief petty officer's creed that exists now but i'm talking like the the content of this article it was really really good stuff and it wasn't just like the surface level like basic leadership tenant stuff it was like there was some really well thought out um between the lines type stuff that I was just like, wow, this article, like, it, it, I mean, this is required reading for everybody. I put it, I put it in written form on the website. I did the podcast about it and I can't get enough of like telling people about it because it was so good. And so like, I'd say, yeah, there was definitely a time where we were better at it. Um, and I just think over a long period of time, it kind of just became one of those things that in in a in a lot of people tell you that the nuclear navy kind of took over the navy right like 1120s nuclear trained engineers are the guys that are running the show at the very very top a lot of the times whether it's surface or submarine 
And so it became, we became way, way, way too focused on like training and qualifications and, and for, like formal metrics and measurable standards and all the stuff right. that we got really far away from um, like soft skills and, and like the just human relationships and communication that when it came time to chop something, what got chopped was nav lead, which probably was before your time, but there used to be a whole thing at Netsy, which is Naval Education Training Command for those that don't know. And at, Na at Netsy, there was a thing called nav lead and there was brick and mortar schoolhouses in every fleet concentration area. Like I went to the work center supervisor course in Groton, Connecticut, and it was great. It was, I went in there and there was nav lead instructors teaching. It was a bunch of fleet guys came in and taught you how to be a good work center supervisor. And then there was an LPO course. There was like an LCPO course, I think. A bunch of really great classes that, I mean, could they have been better? Yeah, probably. But it was something, and I remember getting something out of it. And, and it, was, it was formal leadership development and education in a classroom with an instructor where I, we had really great conversations. I like, got to be honest with you. I got <laughs> You just blew my God. mind with saying that there was a course about work center supervisor because I remember my wow. yeah I remember my it was more leadership for... focused but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it wasn't like three it was like yeah it was like hey have yeah. you ever have you ever signed off maintenance yeah all right. Sign on the qual card. This is where we do this. This is where we do this. Here's your SCAD access. Start scheduling yeah. maintenance. No, it was. It it was more when they said works center supervisor is more they're thinking about it in a role of like you being a leader within your division or work center because right. on larger platforms you it that it turns into that on submarines you're the just the maintenance scheduler guy mm -hmm. um, so it's it's less of a leadership thing but yeah it was it was very much a leadership course it was like in their mind um, it was more it was almost like an ALPO class that's that's mm -hmm. probably more what the content was but. Like, I remember thinking it was great, and I remember feeling like I got something out of it. And I, w I remember being surprised because back then I was a second class that wanted out of the Navy. And it was, it wasn't, I, I didn't expect to get anything out of it or enjoy it the way that I did. Um, so, the, but, and I also remember being at a, a all hands call with a fleet mass chief that I will uh, just politely not name where I stood up and asked like, Hey, what happened? Like, why did, why did the, the, why is there no leadership development and education? Like brick and mortar, no joke, like formal stuff. And I got this real political answer of like, they basically said that, um, and I want to make sure I word this. It was like, I'm not going to say it's about budget cuts, but what happened was budget cuts. <laughs> and like, yeah. and it was so stupid because they said it in that way where it was like, well, it wasn't because we cut the budget for nav lead specifically, but what happened was they uh, cut a bunch of funding to uh, Netsy and Netsy decided that nav lead was going to get chopped because they had to, all the technical courses couldn't, right? So like they decided to put the priority on your ability to go to some like, school on how to repair a refrigerant plant which okay not not important but leadership is in my opinion far more important like i think that if i was going to cut everything else leadership would be the last thing i cut um and it's because when you get into these That's places where things statement. are going hey i'll back it up yeah. man and Dude, so will you, a somebody, whole bunch of other somebody, smart people somebody out there is like what the fuck 
that's that's fine and they can say what the fuck and my response to that is the way that you find yourself in trouble is is poor leadership the way you get yourself out of trouble is good leadership the the when you look at retention statistics every single response to like why i got out of the navy or why i stayed in the navy is leadership and leadership like and it's either it sucked or it was great right and so it's like when you look at the problems we find ourselves in because if you look at a, a, a ship or a submarine right and you don't have enough qualified watch trainers the watch trainers you do have aren't proficient and aren't doing a good job and there's a constant incident reports the people doing maintenance are f- screwing up tags and you're having critiques every five minutes because somebody did something wrong in it and now a piece of gear is broken and like the nukes are having critiques because they can't formally communicate or uh, step through a procedure correctly or whatever right you're having all those problems right is the solution to those problems me sending them to a fucking technical school or is it the leadership on that submarine violently removing their heads from their fucking asses and making sure that those people are properly qualified, that we can man a watch build, that the people that man that watch build are properly trained and, and proficient on the things that they're operating or the procedures they're going through. And that the morale of that submarine is such that when I put them in the positions to do those high stress jobs, they're not, their attitude isn't fuck it because right now force wide, we're having a problem in a specific community that I also won't name that it's the problems manning. Like they don't have enough people and so their morale is so low that when they're put in a very special position of trust to do like procedures that are a big deal, you're having a whole bunch of procedural violations and a whole bunch of integrity violations and a whole bunch of just qu- low quality work because these guys' lives suck no matter what. Like it doesn't matter if we're at sea, in port, if they're doing a good job or if they're doing a bad job, their life is not good. And so oh, their yeah. morale is low because they're staying in port and starboard watches and they can never see their families. So they're like, well, you know, if there's a work stoppage, maybe I can see my wife. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter what the outcome of their efforts are, their life's still going to hurt. So their morale's low, so you're going to get low effort, and and you're going to get a whole bunch of procedure violations and issues. And the response to it is, we're going to have training. We're going to, like, put a bunch of watch-standing principles crap up on the wall and make them carry around these cards and quiz them on certain things. And, like, it's just, like, that's not the problem. So, like, for me to say that, like... When there's a tag out violation, I'm going to make you do more tag out stuff or I'm going to make people check it 10 times or I'm going to like make the chief be physically present when we're hanging a tag. Like, do you that doesn't fix anything? That's just bad leadership. And when you see the response consistently be that kind of crap and it coming from like really high levels. That's you know you got a leadership problem because you're not taking care of the people, and when you don't take care of those people, I don't care how much training they have. You're still gonna get low level effort. Like you're gonna get people that don't care to be there. Like they don't want to be there. They're gonna get out of the service or or not care while they are there and then check out. Like you're gonna get the kind of stuff that you were talking about earlier, where you were on your submarine and nobody cared, and the and the uh, the climate was really toxic because if nobody wants to be there. That's the kind of effort you're going to get put into everything. And that's a leadership problem. So it's like, I can, 
I can, I have the mechanisms available and the equipment present and the people that I need to teach you every technical thing you'll ever need to learn. Are the schools great? Yeah, no, they're awesome. It, I, I love the idea of somebody being able to go into a lab and go in, into like an electrical panel without the risk of being shocked and really slowly step through those things and learn. For me personally, never coming up through the, through the uh, steps that everybody else comes through with ship's control, all of a sudden, I was staying chief of the watch, and then I was staying a dive. I've never even driven the submarine. Like, you think that's a good plan? Like, you think you think that's a thing that should happen? Like, like it was really difficult for me to become a good dive because I had never driven the boat. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, it was really nice for me to be able to go into the super whammadine dive and drive trainer, where there's no risk of me mud darting a submarine, and I can just do whatever I want, and we can like do a jam dive casualty and there's zero risk of me killing anyone. If somebody screws something up, it's not a big deal. So I can see what the indications are going to be and feel like what the submarine's going to do and have no risk of screwing that up. Like all of those things are great, but if I'm jettisoning the, everything else before I'm jettisoning, jettisoning leadership, because all of those things can be done on board the submarine. Like I don't, I don't need to go into a trainer. And there was a time where we effectively fought a world war when you didn't have a dive and drive trainer. So I'm just saying, like, I could mm -hmm. do all that on, on the submarine, get proficient warfighters, qualified warfighters on the submarine, and have them have high morale and esprit de corps and trust in leadership if I have effective leadership on board. And that's the thing that needs to be taught. And it's not being taught. So, yeah. Um, Man, you ain't said nothing slick to a can of oil. I'm just saying that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that's that. I mean, that's a. I love. I love how passionate you are about it, and I can tell you're extremely passionate about it. And you know, I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably just like in their seats right now, like, "Fuck yeah!" But then another <laughs> another part of me is also thinking like, reality hits. You know, yep. It's the same. It always like does. The, the the thing that I remember is it's it's almost like tiring when you think about this and you're like, this isn't sh how it should be. It should be like like if we mm -hmm. were to focus on what you were talking about and making leadership moves, things would eventually fall into place. But then you have to think about the reality of the boat. You have to think about the reality of a of a ship mm -hmm. or a boat in dry dock. The you know like work flow work life what kind of yeah. if if you can i don't know if you can answer this or if you've thought about it if you've given it any thought what kind of mechanisms would even be in place to make these changes other than tycom or whoever coming down and saying hey we're yeah. sending these people yeah. to to wherever at yep. these times i mean like what is 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 it simply one of the benefits that you have is you've been doing this podcast so long that you've you've had these points of these, this content created at this point that people can just listen to and like have these seeds grow in their head, which is really, really good in the first place. Like, I mean, that's extremely valuable is to get people thinking about it. But do you have any mm -hmm. other ideas of how this could actually play out? So, yeah. Um, and I think, I think there's an effort being made because like it, it, for all the criticisms that I've ever had of, the us as an organization for not doing the things that I think we should do. Um, it takes a lot of effort and time to turn this big of a ship. You know what I mean? So like it, I see through the, so they call it the 
Naval Leadership and Ethics Center. So NLIC, uh, Enlisted Leadership Development is ELD, right? So the NLIC ELD stuff that they're coming out with, um, they, re they came out with it. It was about a year and a half ago. Um, they started to slowly roll it out and get facilitators qualified so those facilitators could then facilitate the courses locally. And then COVID hit and kind of put a screeching halt on it. And it's just now spinning back up. But basically the model is that you qualify these facilitators, which are generally people like me, and then they qualify the facilitators at a bunch of shore commands and, and they classify them based on certain metrics of support commands. And then supported commands are things like boats, right? Like, so people that don't have the bandwidth to, like, uh, command deliver leadership courses, so they weren't happening, right? Um, and don't always have the bandwidth to send somebody TAD, so they're gone completely for five days or whatever. Um, and, and it's not on a rigid time schedule either, because uh, it's the kind of thing that there will be courses facilitated so if you can send them when you have time great if not you can just ask for a special convening and and the facilitators will convene a course just for uss whatever to fit their schedule um but the idea is it, there's a beginner and intermediate and advanced so like basically think like e4 and below e5 and then e6 and then there's a, a cpo course where we go in a facilitator leadership course for chiefs and then there's uh, the Senior Enlisted Academy would be the next step, right? And it's going to become mandatory for promotion, kind of like uh, the command-delivered stuff. But in until NLEC is able to stand up the program in a way that that makes any sense to make it a requirement, it's not currently. Um, but I think that is a really great step in the right direction. And I've heard really great things. I sent a couple of my junior guys to it, uh, and they went they went to an air station because that's the only place that it was being offered at the time. So they were there with a bunch of Airedales as submariners. And so there's a little like a little bit of like translation had to happen. That was the only criticism they had of it, though. It was kind of weird hearing Airedales talk about Airedale things. So there was mm -hmm. some stuff where we didn't really relate. But other than that, it, they thought it was great. And these are guys that like one guy's on his way out of the Navy now. The other guy went back to a boat. But they were both kind of the kind of guys that like if it sucked, they would have told me it sucked. Mm -hmm. um, and I've only heard good things about it from the courses that have been facilitated. And I'm going to a facilitator course soon, so I'll be able to kind of see it for myself and and kind of make that judgment first person. But I think the ELD stuff is a really great step in the right direction. Um I still think that there should be a certain amount of it done uh, simply like in a brick and mortar schoolhouse type setting. And I'd even I, like I'd be OK, because like when I went to the senior list academy and uh, so of course, during COVID and a lot of other stuff, a certain amount of it was done on Blackboard, like you're doing distance learning. And I got something out of that. I definitely got more out of being there in real life because you can't substitute being able to be in a room with that many people and that like wildly varying experience. And I mean, they were like, they brought in uh, a fleet master, a couple of fleet master chiefs, a couple of admirals. And like, even from like different places, like they brought the uh, chief of chaplains in to talk to us about chaplain stuff. And like, it was like super high level conversations that it was, we learned a lot of stuff from a lot of really smart people. A um, bunch of people with doctorates that were like retired commanders of ships. And it was just like, there's no substitute for the real thing, but I think the blackboard stuff is an option as well, right? Like where I might not be able to take you completely off the submarine, but I could send you home by 1300 so you can do two hours of blackboard, right? I could 
uh, deliver podcasts via YouTube and a podcast app. I could have you listen to an audiobook or do uh, a certain like a certain learning in a, in a way that conversations could then happen and it could be beneficial in that regard. Um, I think there's a million different ways it could happen that could add up to us being in a place where like we have more fully developed leaders. And I think a lot of it could happen in transit. Like when you're leaving a command to go to shore duty, you would go to a certain course like in transit. Cause we do that all the time. Like we have the ability to do a lot of things that we're just for whatever reason, unwilling to make the decision to do. But if you look around the room, the army has sergeant like little uh, NCO academies everywhere. The air force has a freaking community college. The Marine Corps has required PME before promotions. Like there's stuff that happens in every other branch of the service where it's absolute, like the air force has an airman leadership school in every base. Like it's, it's not, and, and it, I can't speak for the quality of it, but they're, the resources are there where they're taking the time to uh, put in the effort, right? They recognize right. the importance and there's mandatory leadership development education happening. And then the last thing that I think is probably the biggest untapped resources is retirees. And I know like some people kind of eye roll a little bit when I say that, but I brought in a CMC that uh, pinned me to master chief. He was my cob on the special boat and I brought him in when I was on my last submarine and had a room full of first classes that were like riveted on the edge of their seat listening to this guy talk. Like it was the coolest thing I because I do it too. Like he's the type of dude that just has a lot to teach and he's super passionate about sailors and wants them to be the best leaders they can. And what you'll find is when these guys retire, they don't have ready access to sailors all the time and they miss it. So when you put them in a room full of sailors and they get to like hold court, man, it's like, it's one of the cooler things you'll ever see. And so like, oh yeah. And just (laughs) like telling war stories and like sharing experiences, answering questions on demand. And this guy is uniquely equipped to do that. He's the kind of guy that like I could sit there and listen to to talk all day. Um, But there are people like that all over the place that if you gave them access to sailors in that way, you would see, and an example of it is, uh, if you have never heard of the enlisted leadership foundation in San Diego, um, they run, they're a nonprofit run by a bunch of retired master chiefs and fleet master chiefs and stuff like that. Command master chiefs, all those guys. And they run leadership courses in San Diego area where you, it's like a no-cost TAD type of thing. And I want to say there are certain ways where you can use travel funding to uh, send people at cost TAD, but hmm. they have a bunch of different courses. Like there's an LPO Academy. There's one called the Foundry. And like it's a volunteer thing where you have mentors volunteer to go be a, a, like a facilitator for the class. And then the sailors go on a volunteer basis. So it's, it's one of those things where you got to have the time to do it. But uh, same thing, like I've never heard anything bad about it. And I think that if you could create those types of academies where you're just you're just paying retired command master chiefs that have all the like the depth and breadth of experience you could ever want and all of the leadership level of knowledge you could ever want. And like this command master chief is the first one that pops in my mind, but I could tell you I can make a list for you. And you leverage that resource because there's 
there's high level command masteries all over the place out oh, here, and right. I can imagine near, you know, in Groton. Like, are you kidding me? The type I mean, of resources that would be there. The thing too that I think is is like you're talking about these retired, you know, master chiefs mm. and just retired, you know, veterans in general. Is I I feel like there's a, uh, a when you served however many years you served, you know, you've done your career and then mm. you get out and then you do your civilian side and. Whatever you do, you know, nine times out of 10 guys that retire from the military will then retire from something else. And if you're like my grandfather, right. he's a retired CMC SEAL from like the NAM era. Mm -hmm. He's retired three times, you know, Come so, on. so he's Put like that guy in, the, in a room right. full of sailors. Let's but go. These guys, though, like have the military aspect of life and then they've got mm -hmm. that regular life they've gotten their yep. life back they've gotten like their regular yep. life back and they've formed like this new entire being that can now just speak right. to anybody essentially it's not just about yeah. like being able to like speak to some regular civilian that has no idea what the military is but they can mm -hmm. speak to a freaking e1 and reach him they can speak to a yep. o whatever and for reach sure them, yep you know and that's yeah. like that's like all just untapped resources right yep. you want those guys and to be back there. they can do it with the benefit of retrospect too like so yeah. your grandfather can look back and be like let me tell you about all the things i screwed up and some of that like clarity he might not have gotten until he was in that civilian career he's like oh i could have done this mm -hmm. this whole time like there was these skills and like these abilities and just maturity and life experience like to where he looks back and he wishes he would have had some of that perspective when he was like a chief in the seals and it's just like it, yeah. like those types of people like the benefit of their experience it, it, i it's invaluable and as an organization we don't tap into it much like occasionally there's there's people that do but it's occasionally and that's what breaks my heart is like i wish we took advantage of it in that way because even like there are some of them you could record videos and stuff like they aren't even like there, there are certain people that wouldn't want to facilitate a course, but there's, I, I remember sitting in front of my wife's grandfather. He was an army vet from Korea and he was telling me some, he's 92 years old right before he passed away. And he was telling me some of the stories from, from Korea. I was, I like the room melted away when I was looking at this dude. Like I had no idea what was going on around me. Like there could have been a bar fight going on. I was so tuned into what he was saying that I was just like, it, it was, it would, I still remember the conversation. It was, it was amazing. Just, and just the like privilege you feel of having access to that person when the, and yeah. the, like you feel honored that they're sharing these stories with you. And it's just like, it's almost like that, it, that by itself is kind of what opens the door to like certain people. And so it's like, you don't even have to spend the time that I do building trust and rapport and all like those people walk in the room and they just, have it it's like an instant access to that thing that we, that regular leadership has to work so hard for and then they start downloading those things into you and and i had uh i had somebody recently comment to me that kind of like how in certain some roles in their life i function as that because they're talking about how they were like trying to hammer this concept home with one of their sailors and just they weren't having it and then they listen to me say the exact same thing and they're like now it's gospel because d got said it and i was just like it happens to me too i've had sailors do the same thing like where i'm trying to get them to believe a thing and then 
someone else comes around that they trust more or they think has more like clout or whatever and they say it and all this and i'm like i just said yeah. that five yeah. minutes ago yes. and you weren't listening to me it was telling me i don't know what i'm talking about so yeah i think that it's an untapped resource for sure but those are i those are just some examples of the myriad of ways that i think we could solve this problem but i think we're at a place where not solving it is untenable i think that there's i mean there's a report out now that talks about how leadership was a, a driving force between us having major mishaps in the navy because you got to think like and i usually stay away from issues like this but i feel like this one is kind of like i'm not going to go in depth but the all the stuff you're seeing about the the sailor that allegedly was the bonhomme richard fire starter right like when you read the first thing I saw when I saw that was he was a kid that went to Bud's washed out and everybody just keeps saying, well, he hated the Navy. I'm like, okay, well, why did he hate the Navy? And then when you read the article, there's a whole bunch of references to like, yeah, everybody knows that he hates the Navy. Okay. Well, what were we doing about that leadership? Like, were we talking to this kid? Were we pulling him aside and having conversations? Were we telling him like that? Cause I think he was in deck. So, I mean, like from my understanding, that kind of sucks on oh, surface yeah. ships when you're undesignated and you're in the nah, deck department, right? Haven't you ever heard a bitch and sailor is a happy sailor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's an excuse to not lead people. But um, the it it sounded like the, everybody wasn't surprised that it was this kid, if if it is. You know, I mean, it, he hasn't been tried yet, but it's it's just like a case study. For, like, where was leadership? Like, what did we do? And maybe they did a bunch of... I, I don't know. Like, maybe there was a bunch of effort made to to save this kid but in my experience sailors like that get written off and they're just like oh yeah this kid hates the navy he's just gonna get out because he failed to become a seal and it's like yeah or you, that's a leadership opportunity or you could spend a bunch of time like pouring into that kid and and try to get a success story out of that because i i have a couple of those and then i have i have a few that i failed right like i was too late to the party or whatever um, and failed in that, like, I didn't save their naval careers. I mean, one of them is a kid that, I mean, he's doing just fine in life. And it's like I succeeded in helping him, but I didn't succeed in in salvaging his naval career in time. But um, I had a few that, like, I had a kid that was second chance to me after he, two different submarines. He had a bunch of issues. A big driving force was his ex-wife. <clears throat> they just had a really combative relationship that turned into like uh he was having he had a fap case and all this other stuff because cops kept getting called stuff like that and then he would react emotionally to it and have aris happen as a result right so he'd go on deployment would kill it everybody would love him he'd win awards like the i mean so like on his submarine they loved him and then the submarine would tie up and then he'd have an ari and then it was like so they sent him on another deployment with a different submarine tad crushed it they loved him got awards got home had an ari and got arrested and so um, the yeah. Commodore of a local submarine squadron uh, was going to kick him out of the Navy and then uh, for whatever reason had a random change of heart and went to the CSC at squadron and said, hey, if you can find a boat for him in the next week, I'll second chance him to that boat. And so my buddy called me and was like, hey, I got this guy. And I'm like, send him down. What's the worst that could happen? Like I could have a galley watch captain for a deployment or he screws up again and he's on his way out of the Navy. Like, set him down. I'm in. And, like, and I'm a, you know, I'm a guy that, like, I, I'm up for the challenge. You know, like, I get excited about phone calls like that. So they sent him down and, like, 
turns out all the kid needed was for somebody to, to care about that part of his life. You know, like they, like he was great at work and everybody was real appreciative of that, but he needed somebody to care about his personal life. And so all, you know, all it took was me being like involved in that and, and kind of having those conversations with him and the division supporting him. Cause I had a great second class LPO, great kid. He's a first class now on his way to being a chief. Um, but those guys all supported him too. And then, a couple things happened where uh, I've talked about on the podcast one time he showed up to work uh, late and then he was in the storeroom and my LPO came and got me and said, hey, he's in the storeroom and he smells like booze. And I'm like, okay. So I went in there, shut the door, sat down, I'm like, what happened? And he explains to me, you know, got in a fight with his wife and, um, you know, like he dealt with it. He went out drinking, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, stay in here. And like, we're going to like, you're going to stay in here. We'll bring you food and water, like stay in here for a while. And when you feel good, we're going to get you out of here and you're going to go home. And, um, I never told anybody about it. Never counseled them, never did anything. It was just like a, it, it was, it was like, he had a slip up, you know what I mean? But like, he didn't do anything stupid. He didn't drive to work. Like somebody went and got him. Like he did all the right things to deal with it. But like he, you know, he showed up to work drunk, and so that could have been me dropping an anvil on his head, but it wasn't. From that point on, that kid lit the fucking world on fire. Like, got mapped to third, won awards, re-enlisted, went to shore duty, and now he's doing great things. And it's, it's like, awesome. I think the sense, the sense of belonging piece is what was missing, right? But if nobody addresses that, and it's like a basic human need, is to, like, feel like you belong and, like, you're a valuable contributing member of the team. And if you don't ever have that then you're gonna turn into like what people classify as like a problem child and then the the sailor that ends up getting processed out of the navy or burning a ship down and again don't know the details don't know if that actually happened but if it if it is what it's described to be in those articles it's like what if you know like what if a leader got involved and addressed that kid's sense of belonging that was clearly an issue because he thought, you know, he was like, I'm here to be a seal, not a deck guy, not a guy that chips paint and does whatever else deck guys do. You know, like he didn't come in the Navy to be in the regular Navy. He wanted to be a seal. And it's like, well, that didn't happen. So now what are we going to do? And there could have been a million ways to address that. You know what I mean? Like where maybe he strikes a rate and then then uh, works towards being like on the VBSS team or he's doing like he's at least doing something that's in the vicinity of that tactical stuff he probably wanted to do. Maybe there's a way to go uh, blue to green. Maybe there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to redeem that. But I bet you, if that again, if those articles are what they appear to be, and that's the true story, is like this kid was didn't have anybody involved in his life that were meeting those types of needs. And so then you go to like look at the other ones. It's like, okay, why did we have ships colliding? Why do we have all these other mishaps happening? And it's like. There's a the famous one that happened in the Marine Corps where a bunch of guys were killed. And it's just like, how, how yeah. much of that could have been prevented by leadership? I don't know, but I bet you it couldn't hurt. And I, I mean, think a lot of them, leadership played a huge role in. I think, you know, it's uh, Brian, Brian Brown and I have had this mm. conversation. Tommy McConnell and I have had this conversation. And it's it's always yeah. funny because... Yeah, I always kind of like preface it with like, you know, I don't care if people are going to say like it's a hugger mentality or uh, mm-hmm. like this. Like sometimes, you know, people just have this like this response where they're just like, that's too much, you know, get involved in somebody's personal life and actually like 
going the extra mile to see what's going on at home yeah. and and like you know you got a dude that's doing all this making all these dumb mistakes a, a dude or a girl making all these dumb mis- mistakes Ooh. um and and checking what's happening in their personal life outside of their military professional right. life it seems to be have this like a uh, connotation of a of a uh like a uh, trophy, like everybody gets a participation trophy. Like we're, we're going to hug right, you. We're going right, to hold your right. hand and walk yeah. you across the finish line kind of thing. Like I didn't have that treatment. So he doesn't, yeah. he or she doesn't need that. Treatment. I hate that's the and, one that I and, hate the most. And it's just, it's, it's nuts because you, it just, it's backwards thinking. If, if you're out there to me, if it you're is. out there and you're thinking that if you're out there and you're thinking that one, not everybody is you. Okay, we're we're all right. we're all different. Like no matter which way you slice it, and even though there's militarization, and you go to boot camp and they break you down and they build you up, you can't change to the core who somebody is. And right. we all have to deal with stuff in our own way. Hopefully, it's a a healthy, productive way. But that sense of belonging to an outfit that you have to sacrifice so much time to, so much of your own yeah. life, so much of yourself to. But then not having having it feel like these people are your actual like brothers and sisters and that they don't have your back because yeah. all they care about is the shit that she, like at that moment in time, if you have a shitty lot in life or if you like, you know, you whatever the case may be, like shitty when you Ooh. leave work at that moment in time, whatever you're doing at work is probably not important to you at all. It's like, right. you know, doing after watch cleanup or, or fucking doing whatever pm whatever shit that is you're yeah. just like this is not bringing me joy it's just some box that i'm checking right. off I, I don't have to go the fucking extra mile i just have to be here because no matter what i'm gonna get paid on the first and the 15th and as long as i show up with properly shaven in the right uniform i'm not going to jail <laughs> you know like that's the mentality yeah if you don't check it in on the on the on the the part of the sailor or the marine or their soldier or the airman that makes them them yeah and you know they're dealing with something how the hell are you going to get any sort of quality work out of them how the hell are you going to help them not implode and right it's, it's just nuts to me that like i've had so many interactions with people while i was in that would be like this person is just a fucking screw up this person just just yeah. throw them out yeah just you know whatever yeah. they just yeah it's a failure it's and, a yeah and it it never goes away where i i've i've seen again like really smart high level leaders say like there's this principle that um you'll it more less less a principle more like a like a just like an adage that you'll hear among chiefs and i'm, I'm sure probably other leaders say it too is that you're going to spend 90 percent of your time on 10 percent of your people and uh, a lot of I've seen a lot of leaders say like, no, I'm going to I'm going to spend that 90 percent of my time on 90 percent of my people because they're the ones contributing and they're the ones that deserve it and stuff like that, like really smart, high level leaders. And it's like, look, I get what you're saying, but the people that require that attention, because there's there you'll, you're going to have sailors that are good like that if you're a good leader and you're taking care of the needs they have their needs are not going to be as large because they're together because their world outside of work isn't on fire 
because you're doing what you need to do to train and equip them. And it's like, it, in my view, like a leader, it, it, my job as a chief is to give you everything you need to do the mission. Like my job's not to do the mission anymore unless I'm sitting in the dive chair, right? My job is to give you everything you need, training, education, quals, like home life stuff, make sure you don't have pay issues, make sure you have all the materials you need and blah, blah, blah. Like whatever you can imagine, my job is to make sure you have everything that you need to succeed so that when it's time to do the mission, you're the guy doing the mission, you've got everything you need and you are equipped to do that. And, and a huge part of that is making sure you're not distracted by things outside of work like you were just talking about, like is no one, including the leader who is expecting that of you, is going to be able to function at the level required to accomplish the mission in a meaningful way if something outside of work is is all jacked up, right? And it's insane to demand that of your juniors if you're not willing to make sure that they have everything they need in and outside of work. And it, what it doesn't mean necessarily, because, like, again, I'm one of those weird guys where, like, I'm going to come to your house if you need me to. Like, I'm I'm the weird guy that, like... I'll call my wife and tell her I'm not going to be home because I have to like go to some kid's barracks room and then do this. And then, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to be with that sailor until their needs are met. If as long and like, if my physical presence is required, then that's what's required. Um, but that doesn't mean it always has to be that way. Um, I think it should be that way in, in most cases, but there's a lot of resources available to where you don't even have to be the person that's doing it. Like you might have a need that, that it isn't being met or have some kind of issue in your life that I can solve with a phone call. Like I can get you an appointment somewhere where then you're going to have access to that resource and then that needs going to be met and then you're going to be focused at work. And I'll be the person that took care of that problem for you, even though I wasn't like it didn't demand any bre any more of my time. Really? I just had to make a phone call or intervene on your behalf. Cause uh, there's times where a sailor needs something, and if Master Chief calls, I'm going to get a lot more results quicker than if, if FT3 calls, right? And so I do that all the time. I'm like, take my name in vain if you have to. I don't care. And then if they call me, I'm going to tell them. And then if I have to get involved or I have to show up in front of their desk and, and stand on their desk, I'm going to get you the thing that you need. Um, but a lot of times, I think people get caught up in the well then i i would never go home because i would have to go above and beyond all the time and blah 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 and it's like okay i get that part and there are definitely times i do things that i know i don't have to do but i think i should do and it, i'm like a if you should you shall kind of guy a lot, a lot of the times but like it for the leaders that that don't want their whole life to be their job and i completely understand that most of the time you can leverage all of the resources that the organization has available and that sailor's going to get what they need. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can share that load. And when, I'm the idiot that's going to show up anyway, but that doesn't need to be everyone. I mean, I don't know how you think, how you feel about it, but I feel like, you know, when you, when you invest that time into somebody, um, it's not like you're constantly for the entire time that you're, dealing with this person or having this person a part of your crew or whatever, um, having to invest that much energy into it. It's one of those things that like you right. plant, you plant that and, and it grows and eventually, oh, this, yeah. you know, it, this person then finds their own way and they, you know, they, they do clear up all the they BS do, in their that, life and not saying yeah. that it's like a They'll fire also, forget thing, but you know. Yeah. They'll also walk through fire for you afterwards. Like I, that kid that succeeded, it's like, I mean, I spent, 
three afternoons sitting in a court waiting room with him for a couple of hours, right? And I went into the court with him and I sat there because it like it was important to me that he knew I was there. Did I need to be there? No, not really. He had a lawyer and like he didn't need me to be there. But it was important to me that he knew I was there. It was important to me that the judge saw that I was there. Um, and then we kind of talked about it. And there was a couple times where I like bowed up to his lawyer about like some of the dumb stuff they were saying and to get him an answer so that he wasn't going home like wondering what was going to happen next or why this happened the way that it did or whatever. But like those three afternoons, I mean, that's like what, six hours of my life. But then for the rest of the time that kid was attached to that submarine and beyond, like he would have, if I told him to run headlong into a wall, he would have done it. You know what I mean? And it's just like, and that's not why I did it necessarily, but it kind of is because like, I want him to be so focused on mission accomplishment, be, not just because I need him to be to accomplish the mission. Cause that's kind of my job, but also like, I want him to succeed in the organization and he's not going to be able to do that if he's not whole and healthy and focused on what he needs to do. You know what I mean? Like if he doesn't have those needs met, or they're not going to be able to do the thing that we need them to do anyway. But also I like the thing that I get out of the job, like the, the, the reward for me is like the seeing them succeed. Like it's like a, I get all of my job satisfaction out of watching sailors accomplish things and watching them do well and, and whatever and promote and get awards and all that stuff. Um, and so like, I want him to do that too. And so in, in order for him to do that, he needs to be focused on, on doing yeah. all those things instead of being worried about his personal life exploding. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. hundred percent agree. And, um, wow, man, it's been, it's been already over an hour and I, yeah, I told I could you just... I do three and a half hour podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I could just keep going yeah. asking questions. We can do a rev to another time, man. I'm all in. Dude, I, I'm, I definitely, uh, I mean, if you're down, I definitely think that it would be really cool to just, just have you on another time and i don't know maybe for do a sure. mini series on 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 for come sure up with man some you topics can... from from my perspective yeah pick topics for sure yeah. man pick topics we can do that yeah we can do whatever man i'm always down Dude, this was a great podcast and i i enjoyed every minute of uh of chatting with you and i think that the audience will as well i appreciate you coming and, and hanging out man really yeah awesome man i no, i appreciate you having me this was fun i i enjoy these conversations yeah, I could tell. I could tell. <laughs> I did. I did transparent. Too, yeah. No, I, did. <laughs> I I enjoy it too, though. Um, but hey, guys, uh, thank you guys for listening to the Only on the Midwatch podcast presented by Test Dev. Uh, this was the host of the Don't Give Up the Ship podcast joining us. Um, hey, you you mentioned that you posted on your website the article, and I'm so curious. Uh, but can you plug that that website URL or or where people yeah. can go and get content from Don't Give Up the Ship podcast? For sure. Yeah. So dguspodcast.com. Um, it's that's, you can get to the podcast that way. And then obviously the article, there's some resources on there and some other stuff. And then, yeah, don't give up the shit podcast anywhere that you find podcasts. Uh, you'll be able to find, uh, find that one. Um, and yeah, yeah man, uh, it's yeah. Oh yeah. So at dguspodcast on Instagram, you can find us on Facebook. Don't give up the shit podcast. You can find us on uh, Reddit uh, and now Discord. I'm I'm cool yeah. now and I'm on Discord in the in like the Navy server I think it's called. I'm still learning Discord, but yeah, D gets podcasts on on everything. Yeah, if you if you, if you find us on Reddit, uh, Instagram, um, 
and mm -hmm. Discord. We're on all of them. And you can come in. The, we have a, a sub on Reddit, or I'm just active in our Navy, and I post the podcast stuff there as well to kind of get discussion going. So Sweet, man. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening to us, guys. Absolutely. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having yeah. me. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.